Well, it's great to be with you, Emmaus Road. My name is Josh Golaxon. I was the intern here uh, for a few years, a few years ago. Um, came back in uh, 2015 and started off here, and then was here in 2016 and 2017. And the reason those dates are important is because in 2015, uh, probably around this time, I preached when Dan was on vacation, and the AC was out, and I just thought, okay, this is just a fluke. But in 2016, Dan was on vacation, and I preached on a hot August day with high humidity, and the AC was out again. And I was like, okay, Dan's testing me. You know, he called the Girl Scouts building and said, hey, like, you got to put this, you know, put this guy to the test. I was sure of it. But then in 2017, I guess I had passed the test. You know, we were getting ready to go plant Livingstone Church in Oshkosh, and I preached that summer and uh, last summer, and uh, the AC was working that day. Well, now David's here, and uh, I think uh, Dan is up to his wily ways again, so um, no, just kidding. Uh, Dan, I don't know if you're going to listen to this. We love you, but uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just joking around. But no joke, three out of the last four years, the AC's been out when I've been here to preach when Dan is gone, so that is the truth. Which is a great segue into my opening question that I had for us, which, you know, I wasn't even planning this, but uh, how do we react when life doesn't make sense or when things don't go the way that we've planned? When we lay out all our plans, we work hard, we try to get all our ducks in a row, and then we show up and, right, things don't go the way you planned. Do we just throw up our hands and throw in the towel and say, just forget it. It's not worth it. Life is too hard. Well, as Christians, we are not immune to struggles, the struggles that other people face in life under the sun. We face the same challenges, the same struggles under the sun. And we've been confronted with this reality week after week these past two months as we've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes. I think it's been a very emotionally and spiritually heavy book and probably a heavy time for a lot of us. I know I've really felt the weight of these things a lot in my own personal life, and I know in conversations with others that they have too. And we may sound like a broken record up here week in and week out, just beating that same drum, saying the same thing over and over and over. But I think it's necessary to do that because we so easily forget We forget the reality of how life can be difficult, how life can be hard. And we need God's word to wash over us. We need God to continually remind us of his grace and remind us that we need his wisdom. We need to apply his wisdom to our lives if we're going to make it, if we're going to survive in this crazy world. And Koheleth who is our, he's the preacher, he's the one who's leading us through this journey in Ecclesiastes. We're introduced to him in the first chapter. He has put his finger on some pretty sensitive issues related to life under the sun. He's talked about vanity, chasing after the wind, how life can be meaningless. He's talked about our toil and our struggle. And this all flows from this piercing question that he asks in the opening chapter. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? What gain is there? In other words, is it worth it? Is it worth it to keep going? Is it worth it to keep battling and keep striving? Is the struggle 
worth it. And we might ask, where is God in all of this? And why is life so hard? And as, as David mentioned, this kind of comes up over and over in Ecclesiastes and really until the last chapter, he doesn't back off, right? And here in chapter 9, he's going to continue to put his finger and he's going to poke and he's going to twist in order to get us to fix our gaze above the sun, to look above the sun where true wisdom can be found. In chapter 9, he exposes three areas of our hearts that need to be transformed from an under-the-sun perspective to an over-the-sun perspective. And if you're following along in the ESV, this is kind of the, the natural breakdowns of the text. The first area he exposes is the fear of death. And then he exposes the abuse of pleasure. And then he exposes the misguided pursuit of wisdom. And if you're not using your worship guide as a fan and you're actually taking notes, um, I want us to consider three questions based on those things. And if you want to jot these down, the three questions that we're going to follow and, and look at. First, how can we face death under the sun? Second, how can we enjoy life under the sun? And third, how can we find wisdom under the sun? And I'm going to kind of attempt to answer that right away. Uh, this is kind of the big idea, and, and I'm going to work backwards from the third question to the first. And I think what we're going to see is that if we find a better kind of wisdom, then we can truly enjoy our vain life under the sun, knowing that we were made for something more, and we can face death knowing that death doesn't get the final word. And we'll come back to those things. So let's continue our journey with Koheleth and see what God has to say to us through his word as we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 1 through 18. Please pay attention to the reading of God's word. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and as he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, 
For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, man, a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. The word of the Lord. Excuse me. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we need your wisdom. We need you to show us how to live life under the sun, how to trust you, how to follow you, how to walk with you in this life that can seem vain and futile and fleeting. Lift up our eyes above the sun that we may see you in all your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. The first question How can we face death under the sun? Koheleth addresses this in verses 1 through 6. Really, verse 1 is a continuation of the vexing search at the end of chapter 8. He says, but all this I laid to heart, that all this is from chapter 8, saying that we can't find out the work of God, that there is mystery involved in this, though we try, though we search things out, we can't, at the end of the day, know everything that God is up to. And thinking about this, these ideas of, of mystery and of, of God's sovereign work, um, I think it's important to try to balance these things out. Uh, in a lot of my conversations that I have with people, I try to make the argument that Reformed theology, this thing that we call Reformed theology or, or Calvinism, actually has the best grasp of mystery. We actually have a bigger box for mystery Mystery is something that is okay because God is sovereign. We don't need to figure everything out. Contrary to to maybe some accusations because we like our theology, right, and we like to have all of our ducks in a row, that's true. But we also have a, a big box for mystery, and we say, God is sovereign, and I don't need to know all the answers. And that is something that we need to be okay with, especially if we're gonna read the book of Ecclesiastes well. We have to at the end of the day, come up to a line and and draw a line in the sand and say, I can't cross that line. I can't know the mind of God in every detail. I can't know God's plan for my life every single detail. There is mystery there, and we have to be okay with that. Koheleth, he's talking about that here. He's talking about 
things being in the hand of God, the righteous and the wise, their deeds are in the hand of God. I think that's talking about God's sovereignty. And especially as we look to verses 2 and 3, we need to really consider this. He says, it is the same for all, since the same events happen, the same events happen to all. He's going to repeat that in verse 3. And he's going to remind us of the inevitability of death with these words. It is the same for all. Death is going to come to all. And then he's going to list six opposite kinds of people, one positive and one negative here in verse 2. The righteous and the wicked, the good and the evil, the clean and the unclean, him who sacrifices, him who does not sacrifice, the one who is good and the sinner, he who swears an oath and he who shuns an oath. And news flash for us. The six good people here are still going to die, just like the six evil people. And Koheleth sees this and he calls it an evil. Verse 3, this is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. We've been talking about this over and over in Ecclesiastes. Why do the righteous suffer and why do the wicked prosper? Koheleth calls this an evil. And then he reminds us of the condition of our hearts. Verse 3, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. This is something that we like to call total depravity, that our hearts are wicked, our hearts are full of evil. And scripture and experience testify to this, don't they? We experience the wickedness around us in the world. But our own hearts also testify to this, don't they? We know in our own hearts that we are prone to wander. That's why we have a confession of sin every single time we come to worship, because we need to continually confess our sins to the Lord and be reminded of his pardon. This is a great reminder here of our, our need for God and for the Lord himself to give us a new heart because our hearts in and of themselves are wicked. Then he goes on in chapter 4 and he says something that seems to contradict something that he has said earlier in Ecclesiastes. He said, he who is joined with all the living has hope. And here in verses 4 and 5, he's going to say, it's better to be alive than to be dead. Well, if you remember back in chapter 4, he was making the argument that it's better to be dead, and then he actually says it's better to never have even been born than to be alive. But in that context, he's talking about people who are suffering under oppression, and I don't think that's the exact situation that he's talking about here. So in the in the case of people who are suffering under terrible oppression, he's saying it's better that they were never even born. But here he's making a, a statement that's saying it's better to be alive than to be dead. And this is going to kind of lead into uh, the next section about enjoying life. But he uses this picture here. He's talking about hope. He uses one of his is better statements, which he uses throughout the book, by comparing a living dog and a dead lion. Now, if you've read much of the Bible, you know that 
you do not want to be compared to a dog, especially in the Old Testament. Dogs were not the cute little, you know, fuzzy little critters that sit on our lap and we drive down the highway. And I, you know, I saw that the other day. I'm like, what? Like, it's, if you do that, it's okay. But I'm like, you know, like, that's just totally different than what an Israelite would have, would have thought about a dog. Okay? Dogs were the lowest thing on the totem pole. You did not want to be compared to a dog. But a lion, right? The king of beasts, the majestic royal animal, the strong, powerful animal. He's saying it's better to be the lowest rung on the totem pole and to still be alive than to have been way up here, way up high, and be dead. And he concludes this section then with a very bleak picture of what it means to die. The dead know nothing, they have no more reward, and the memory of them is forgotten in verse 5. And then verse 6, their love and their hate and their envy have perished forever. They have no more share in all that is done under the sun. I think when we read this, their memory of them is forgotten. It really causes us to think about our own lives, to think about how do we feel when we hear this, that the memory of you will be forgotten. And what lengths do we go to in our lives to try to make sure that people remember us? What things do we do to try to make a name for ourselves? I think Dan mentioned this right when we were beginning Ecclesiastes, just talking about the brevity of life, that in a hundred years, no one is going to be alive who knew any of us, right? Maybe, maybe there's an infant here who's going to live to a hundred years old who was alive, but they're not going to remember any of us, right? They're probably not going to know any of our names except maybe their parents. Think about that. In a hundred years, your life is just maybe going to be a name on a, on a gravestone or in some book somewhere. Or, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe your Facebook page is still going to be around. I don't know. But who knows? But how can we face death under the sun? How can we not fear the thing that will inevitably happen to us all? And how can we be okay with being forgotten? There is an under-the-sun answer, and an over-the-sun answer. Koheleth is going to give us an under-the-sun answer. And the answer is, enjoy your life under the sun. And this leads us into our next section, and our second question. How can we enjoy life under the sun? Like the theme of death that's been explored over and over throughout Ecclesiastes, the theme of enjoyment has been addressed several times. But this is actually the longest and most in-depth section that Koheleth is going to treat this topic of enjoyment. I think one thing that's interesting here is that this section is full of imperatives, commands, things that Koheleth is telling us to, to do. Go and do these things. Now, throughout Ecclesiastes, most of the imperatives are related to fearing God and to obeying God. This is how you should live in, in fear of God and, and obeying God. But here, in the, just in, this, in these few verses from verse 7 to 10, there are five imperatives just in these, in these four verses. And three of them are right here in verse 7. He says, go, that's an imperative, eat, 
your bread with joy, that's an imperative, and drink, imperative, your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. And we could read this and be like, awesome, God doesn't care what I do. I can just go out and do whatever I please and just self-indulgence and total hedonism. Well, that's actually, that's not what this verse is saying. Uh, this, there's some kind of debate about how to translate this. God has approved what you do. It's Maybe better, like God has accepted your works or God takes pleasure in your works. God delights in the things that you do. Um, and obviously, we believe that God has given us good gifts to enjoy, but those gifts are to be enjoyed for his glory, right? And delighting in him. It's not just for selfish reasons. And pleasure, uh, contrary to you know some belief systems, some forms of, of Christianity, I think, uh, Pleasure can be viewed as a sub-Christian thing, that we shouldn't enjoy things in this life. We shouldn't delight in things in this life. But we all have things in this life that we enjoy, right? We all have things that give us pleasure. And as I was thinking about a couple of things that I really enjoy or have enjoyed, I was thinking back to uh, a couple months after I got ordained in January of 2016, uh, my brother-in-law, Tim, and Pastor Dan Jackson from Jacob's Well, they took me out to eat at the Union Hotel in De Pere. This is like the fancy hotel in town where all the Packer players, I don't know if they still hang out there, they used to. And they got me a 32-ounce porterhouse steak. And you better believe I ate every last bite, and I enjoyed the heck out of that steak. It was amazing, and I got a ton of joy and pleasure from that. Or a couple weeks ago, I was going to pick my kids up at camp in Iowa, and I went a night early, and I stayed with a friend in Dubuque, but I stopped in southwest Wisconsin in Grant County, beautiful hills, beautiful country, and I went trout fishing on this secluded stream down this windy road, and I didn't see another human being for like four and a half hours, and that was the most glorious four and a half hours. I didn't catch any trout, unfortunately, but it was a great time. God has given us things like that to enjoy. He's given us good gifts in this life to enjoy. And we see that here in verse 8 with this symbolism of, of celebrating. It says, let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. This is language of, of celebration. He's saying, get dressed up and go to a wedding, right? Celebrate with people. Enjoy life. God has given you these good gifts. He goes on in verse 9, Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Husbands, take this to heart. Enjoy life with your wife. Wives, enjoy life with your husbands. Single people, enjoy life with your friends. This isn't just talking to married people. It's saying, treasure those relationships. Spend time with people. Do, spend time doing things that you enjoy, that give glory to God, and that bring you joy and pleasure. And then in verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom and shield to which you are going. This passage is really the carpe diem passage of the Bible, right? Seize the day. Take advantage of the things that God has given you. Enjoy life. Have fun in a way that is 
God-honoring and God-glorifying. It's the bucket list thing, right? What are those things that you've been wanting to do the, the before you kick the bucket, right? What, are, what do you want to do? This is, so this, I think this idea of when you say carpe diem and bucket list, I think it's easy to be like, whoa, you know, that's selfish. That's, but it's, it's not necessarily selfish. There are things that God has given us in life to enjoy. And I think, again, this follows, you're going to die, right? You're going to die, so enjoy your life under the sun. How can we do that? I think by having, it's got to start first by having joy in Christ, enjoying our life. In 1 Timothy 6, 17, Paul writes, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides for us everything to enjoy. God richly provides for us everything to enjoy. So work on your bucket list with 1 Timothy 6.17 in mind. Set your hope on God and enjoy what he has given you. Spend time with others, as I already said, enjoying life and glorifying God. First question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And if you read that answer and you think that can only involve sitting in a monastery and praying and reading your Bible and fasting, you know, maybe getting two hours of sleep and all you're doing is doing spiritual things, I don't think that's what Koheleth is talking about and I don't think that's what the writer's of the catechism we're talking about. When is the last time that you did something enjoyable and God-glorifying? I think for most of us, this doesn't necessarily come naturally to us. It might take some planning, right? It might take some time sitting down with your spouse or sitting down with some friends and saying, okay, how can we be intentional about this? How can we go do something that we enjoy and glorify God while doing it? I think we need to pray because God has to be in it. Again, we're not, in and of ourselves, we will lean towards the hedonism, right? And, and just pleasing ourselves. So bring God into it and ask him, how can I do these things? How can I enjoy life and honor you? And if we are going to enjoy life and face death under the sun, it is going to take wisdom from the Lord. And that leads us to our final question. How can we find wisdom under the sun? Koheleth begins here in verse 11 by dealing a death blow to the wisdom of the world with five very interesting word pictures of the reality of life under the sun. He says that the race is not to the swift, the battle is not to the strong, bread is not to the wise, Riches are not to the intelligent, and favor is not to those with knowledge. Now, this is how the wisdom of the world works. If you work hard, right, if you put in the time, if you do these things, you will be rewarded for them. And this is the message of our culture. If you've been on Highway 41 recently between Appleton and Oshkosh, you may have seen the the Marine Corps billboard says battles are won within, right? What is the message there? What is the underlying message? Now certainly it can't be that 
If you just believe in yourself, you're going to win at war every time, right? I mean, that's nonsense. Nobody, nobody really believes that. Battles are won within. That's saying that the battle is to the strong, right? If you just, if you just believe in yourself, if you just be strong, you're going to win the battle every time. But that's not how life works, right? The battle is not always to the strong. And I'm not trying to diss on the Marines or, or the military, but come on, they know that, right? I mean, they know that that's not true. They know that people are broken, soldiers are broken, and they don't probably come home from war feeling, hey, I'm strong within and I won all my battles. People are still struggling, right? Or the Office Max back-to-school ad campaign. I was just there picking up some things for Lindsay, and there's all these, all these uh, pictures on the window. Dance to the beat of your own drum. Unleash your inner power, right? Because that's what all our kids need as they go back to school. They need to dance to the beat of their own drum. Be the, this doesn't say this, but be the best you and you will succeed at whatever you do, right? That's the message that we're just bombarded with day in and day out. Well, thankfully, Office Max didn't totally drop the ball. One of them says, make every day count, okay? Now they're jiving with Koheleth, right? Seize the day. Make every day count. That's true. I want to tell my kids that. Make every day count, right? You've got one shot in this life to live for God, to honor him. Make every day count. Well, Koheleth brings the hammer down on some of those nonsensical things that I was talking about. He says, time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. This word chance here, I know sometimes maybe can throw us off a little bit. Um, A more literal translation would be time and happenings happen to them all. Like life happens. It's not chance, like just random, roll the dice, God's not in control. But it's saying things happen. Things happen and we don't know how they will happen. We don't know when they will happen, but God knows. And here he's specifically talking about death. And he's using the picture here of a fish caught in a net and a bird caught in a snare. Death is going to come and it's going to grab us. Now, Koheleth is not saying that it's wrong to be swift. He's not saying it's wrong to be strong. He's not saying, put your running shoes up on the table and and stop running. He's not saying, cancel your gym membership and stop working out because you don't need to be strong. He's not saying, hey, if you're in college, just, you know, give up and go do something else because you don't need to be wise. You don't need to be intelligent. You don't need to be knowledgeable. That's not what he's saying. But he is saying all of these things, all these efforts that we have, all these things we do, they won't save us at the end of the day. They won't save us from the fate that is coming to us all. You can be the most highly educated person, and compared to the least educated person, you're still going to die. There's no difference. God doesn't look on you and like, oh, you're better than that person because you got more degrees. The reality of life is that we're going to work really hard at something like preparing your body for an NFL football season and then 
snap, there goes your ACL, or boom, there goes your ankle, right? And you get carted off the field. What do you think those guys go through mentally in that moment? You know, that's, that's big time stuff. But we face the same things, right? I put in the time, I put in the effort, and it all fell apart. Or think about the people whose, whose homes have been destroyed by wildfires or t- tornadoes. Think about all the time, the sweat, the money that's been put in, the love personalizing everything, and then you just wake up and it's gone. Gone. It can seem so arbitrary, right? It can seem so meaningless under the sun. I love how Koheleth ends this chapter. He ends by sharing an example of wisdom that seemed great to him in verse 13. Another translation, he says, says that he was greatly impressed with what he saw. There's a little city with few men in it. And a great king comes against the city and besieges the city, builds up siege works against the city, right? The city is doomed. I mean, they've got no hope. They don't have people. They don't have probably the weaponry to fight back. Things are not looking well. But, he tells us, there is a poor, wise man in this city who by his wisdom delivered the city. And we're like, how did he do it, right? Like, this is impossible. How did this guy deliver the city? Well, we're not told. Uh, We don't know. And I don't think it's actually important because I don't think that's the point. I think what is important is what he says after that. At the end of verse 15, he says, yet no one remembered that poor man. Isn't that interesting? No one remembered the poor man, the wise man who delivered the city. It shouldn't surprise us, should it? I mean, he was just talking about the wickedness of our hearts. That's kind of the, you know, he already said we wouldn't be remembered after we die. It's not surprising that this poor wise man who delivered the city was forgotten. I think what Koheleth wants us to do is he wants us to remember as his readers this poor wise man. And that's the whole point of this threefold wisdom is better in verses 16 to 18. Verse 16 says, Wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. It's the first one. Second, verse 17, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. And third, wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. I was reading a commentary uh, this week and had an interesting interpretation of this. I'm not always the biggest fan of allegorical uh, interpretations, but I think this is a pretty interesting take. These, these commentators said that the little city is the church, and the great king who comes against the church is Satan, and the despised poor man who saves the city is Jesus, right? We are the few people in the city as the church. We are under siege from the world, the flesh, and the devil, And Jesus is our wise deliverer. But his wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. 
Certainly not out there, right? His wisdom is not heeded. His wisdom is despised. And I think oftentimes within the city walls, the same thing happens. Within the city walls, we don't always listen to his wisdom. As we were singing the, the Johnny Cash song, I was struck by the line that said, I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit, and they say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. May that not be us, right? We don't want to be that kind of a city. It's better to hear Jesus' wise words in quiet instead of the shouting of rulers among fools outside of the city walls. His wisdom is better than weapons of war. When Jesus was before Pilate, he said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. How can we find wisdom under the sun? By belonging to the kingdom that is not of this world, where true wisdom can be found. I'm going to conclude with going back to kind of the main idea that I said at the beginning. If we find a better kind of wisdom, an over-the-sun kind of wisdom in a kingdom that is not of this world, then we can truly enjoy life in this vain, our vain life under the sun, knowing that we were made for something more, and we can face death knowing that death doesn't get the final word. This table here is a reminder that death doesn't get the final word. It's a picture of joy and celebration, like putting on that white garment and putting oil on our heads. It's a picture of celebrating. And it's a vivid reminder of the wisdom of God to save sinners like us. God sent his son to have his body broken and his blood poured out so that we could be reconciled to him, so that we could have new life, so that we could have new hearts put in us, those wicked hearts removed and new hearts given that we could see with new eyes, that we could live wisely in this world as his representatives. That's what this table is about. It's about Christ who laid down his life for us. This table is not, it's not a closed table. It's not only to those who are members of Emmaus Road or who are Presbyterian. If you're visiting with us and you have trusted in Christ, if you are a Christian, then you are welcome to come to this table. We invite you to come and to celebrate with us. We have uh, white grape juice around the outside and red wine on the inside. There are also uh, gluten-free wafers. And uh, if I could have those who are serving come forward. We have a, we have a call and response. It's on page... Eight. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord. With joy we praise you, gracious God, for you have created heaven and earth, made us in your image, and kept covenant with us, even when we fell into sin. 
Therefore, we join our voices with all the saints and angels and the whole creation to proclaim the glory of your name. 